today is a, a day when we land in the book of Leviticus. Uh, this is going to be our last installment. Uh, so I trust that you have enjoyed. We will have an opportunity to do some overview of what we've learned. So as you're finding your seat, let us bow our heads and pray. And we will start the class. Father God, we thank you that you are holy God. Everyone who comes into your presence should be holy, must be holy, and is called to be holy and will be holy. We thank you that the Lord Jesus is the Holy One of Israel who came to redeem us and who came to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And we thank you, Lord, that we are given the promises for a life to come. And we're looking forward to the blessed hope when Christ will come again. As we turn to the book of Leviticus once again, as we conclude the study today, I pray that you give us your grace. Open our hearts, open our eyes, that we may see your truth, that we may love you, and we may pursue your holiness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. About a year ago, on the first Sunday of last year, 2023, we began the journey to study through the book of Exodus. So I thought, just for the memory's sake, uh, I'll bring this slide. Um, many of you do remember. Uh, what was the theme that we studied in the book of Exodus? Redemption. God is the Redeemer. And God redeemed people of Israel. And God redeemed people of Israel for which purpose? To be holy. Exactly. And this is what we've been covering in the book of Leviticus. Now, I thought some of you uh, had an opportunity to be here every Sunday. But some of you uh, were not able to come every Sunday. So I thought to put this slide here where you can find all the recordings. And before we move forward, I just want to say special thanks to Brother Mark, who is sitting all the way in the back. Uh, yes, uh, he started uh, really our study in Exodus and helped us to go through and uh, manage that. Uh, Brother Derek, he joined and was one of the teachers with uh, Lance, Dan, and Tim. So I trust that you had an op- had an opportunity to hear different voices, two accents, um, really had an opportunity to hear from different men, and this is our goal, that this is not just the one voice, but this is an opportunity for us as elders, as your shepherds, to open the Word of God together with you. So make sure you express your gratitude for things you've learned. Uh, feel free to ask us any questions. Uh, there is no guarantee we will answer them because uh, I know many of you have asked really good questions. And I want to encourage you to keep asking questions because your questions uh, really help us to stay focused and to dig deeper that we may be able to answer. Uh, we do not possess all the answers, but we know the book that does, and it's the matter of working hard to find them. Now, there are some questions that we may not sufficiently answer on this side of heaven, but sure enough, uh, when Christ will come, a lot of things will become very clear to us. So I would encourage you, as you 
uh, are reading right now through the Bible. And as you will come across different themes and maybe subjects, uh, you can go back to, uh, to this uh, site and take a look at some of the lessons that we've covered and some of the themes and some of the concepts. So they would be super helpful, just so that your uh, reading would be really, really encouraging and blessed to you. Oops, too fast. This is what I feel about the holidays. They go too fast. Uh, so last week we talked about holidays. Uh, and uh, Brother Lance, he covered about the Jewish calendar and really what God designed uh, for people of Israel as a holy nation to set aside special times that they may come into God's presence and honor Him. Uh, it's interesting as we studied the Leviticus and Exodus, a lot of these themes, they will be repeated through the pages of the Old Testament. So I'm not going to repeat a lot, but uh, just to give you a visual, and really uh, one of the questions last week was about the time gap. So uh, first, maybe important to note that the Japanese did not steal or did not influence this calendar, even though the first month is called Nissan. Uh, it's for our, uh, car lovers. Uh, that's the joke from one of my Old Testament professors, which I thought I thought truly fitting. <clears throat> but you notice uh, this calendar is really divided into two sections, and there are three key holidays when all men of Israel were required to come to worship. And if you think about, uh, as you read through the Psalms, and specifically there would be a group of Psalms, Psalms of Ascent, they would be recited and meditated and sang when those men would go on a pilgrimage. It would be Passover, uh, there would be a first one, the holiday of unleavened bread would be the second one, and the tabernacles would be the third one. So this is when really uh, all male of Israel, and God would call it as appointed time. This is appointment with him. So I trust as, as you think about the calendar in the Old Testament that uh, you set aside time the appointed time to meet with the Lord, to have appointment with Him um, daily, periodically, regularly, that you may grow in God's grace and grow in God's holiness. <clears throat> As you said, and I appreciate that you do pay attention, that uh, the, the theme and purpose of the book of Leviticus is really to display to us God's holiness. It is very interesting that this book was given in one month, at Mount Sinai for people of Israel before they even went to the promised land. But God is providing to them a very, very important course, instruction, what it means for God to be holy and for them to come and approach holy God. And this was the purpose of the book of Leviticus, to instruct the nation of Israel how she must live and worship as God's chosen people in respect to his holiness, in order that he might dwell among them. Now, you may recall that this instruction was really given to the priests. Uh, priests, they, they had the important role in the nation to teach the people of Israel and to observe and to administer various regulations and really oversee the worship. So that was their role. Now, you may recall from our study uh, that God's presence was not always with people. In fact, when did people lost the privilege to be in the presence of God? From the beginning, when Adam sinned, 
sin. Not from the beginning, but from the moment of sin. When, when Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God, and they lost the privilege to be in the fellowship with God. That relationship was broken. Now, there were some consequences to that. So the consequences was that they were expelled from the garden. But besides that, if you open any news pages today, you see the consequences of Genesis 3. None of the reporters would cite Genesis 3, but that's what we see. The corruption and and uh, really de- decomposition of the world, of the society. That's the impact of sin, and we all experience it. Every single person who is here, every single person who is born in this world, except Jesus Christ, experiences internally the impact of sin, experiences externally. So for God to come and dwell among the people of Israel, as he promised in Exodus 25, there was something extremely unique. None of the nations experienced that redemptive grace. And God, by his grace, really comes to dwell among the, uh, the camp, inside the camp. Now, where God's presence is, that place is holy. And this is what people of Israel learn. Now, some of them learn in a very, very hard way. There were two fellows, Nadab and Abihu, who really had all the theory They were instructed as priests, but they failed to treat God as holy, and it cost them dearly. And God gives us examples to us that we understand that his holiness is very, very important. So the outline of the book of Leviticus really is an overview. It has two major points. Uh, Way to God through appropriate worship. And when we studied this way to God through appropriate worship, People could not come into the presence of God with empty hands. They had to bring what? A sacrifice. None of the people could come uh, with empty hands. Even today, people could not go into the presence of holy God with empty hands. None of us do. We all come through Christ. His atoning work. And uh, he, he paid on our behalf. And that's what applied on our account. So we always come through the mediator. But it's not only coming to God, but also walking with God. Walking with God through really obedient lifestyle. So when God uh, presented for people of Israel how they can approach him, uh, you made a call uh, in our study of tabernacle that this was a very enclosed manner. There was only one way. And there was really uh, one access, and this is about where all the worshipers may come. Okay, none of them could come into the tabernacle itself. Only priests could come, and high priests would come into the Holy of Holies once a year. So there was a very specific place, there was a specific way, and there was a specific price where it would remind people of Israel that when God, the Holy God, dwells among them, there is a, a great exchange, a life for life, that had to take place. So, as we conclude our study in Leviticus, I thought, what would be the better theme but to cover the pursuit of holiness? So how do we 
learning everything from Leviticus, pursue your holiness. You may recall all the various commands that God has given to people of Israel in Leviticus to be holy. For example, in chapter 11, and I would ask some of you to read. Uh, Jason, would you read, please, chapter 11, verses 44 and 45? I will have most of them on the screen, so... Now, I purposely chose to use different colors to highlight and really show us in the text because we don't have much time, but we will look through a variety of texts. Notice this command I, I put in the color and the reason I underline. As we're going to read the Old Testament passages and New Testament passages, we will see this pattern. Another passage in Leviticus 19, we did not study this chapter, but again, it speaks to the same issue. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. What is so unique about chapter 19 of Leviticus? There is the second greatest commandment found in Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is right here, housed in this chapter. So when, when we think about loving the neighbor, it's very interesting reading in the context. God expects us to be holy. And that love demonstrated to the neighbor is in that context. Another passage. Samuel, would you be so kind to read for us? Leviticus 20. Verse 26. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. So why does God give so many commandments to the people of Israel? And he repeats this command again and again and again. I just said slow learners. Slow learners. People keep sinning. Okay, what else? Importance. importance. Repetition, really important. Now, these commands are given in the Old Testament, but not only in the Old Testament. So uh, I, I thought to, again, bring this slide just as a review, that when we look at the Old Testament, there are various principles that we pick up. What was then? What is eternal? And what is now? So, okay, we've read a whole bunch of texts from Leviticus, which was thousands of years ago. What about now? Is there any difference for us New Testament believers? Chris, would you be able to read for us this passage? Notice here, Apostle, Apostle Peter actually quotes Leviticus 11, but he makes a little application here. He changes from uh, uncleanliness to, he changes to your behavior. The holiness now should be demonstrated in your lifestyle, in your behavior. 
Okay, anyone else would like to read this passage? Shannon. Now, the title of this slide, Pursuit of Holiness, comes from uh, the book written by Jerry Bridges. He wrote this book. uh, And his first chapter uh, in that book is Holiness for You. So it's one thing when we study the holiness of God in general, theologically, it is a very different when we study holiness as it applies and pertains to me specifically and to you specifically. And here, the New Testament writers, and this is what we're going to cover for the rest of our hour, they're going to emphasize the importance for all of us as a church, as a, uh, believers in Jesus Christ, to pursue holiness in all of our conduct. Now, here in, in First Thessalonians, Apostle Paul is writing to a very new church, uh, give or take six months, as they came to believe in Christ through the preaching of Paul with Silas and Timothy and uh, and. This church has so many questions, and Paul gives them very clear uh, theological instruction about their position, but also gives them very practical how differently should they live in their society. So what should be the starting point for us to pursue holiness? What, what is the starting point? Repentance and confessing Christ. Now, this is very important for us to know. Why? Because sometimes we grow up in the various uh, societies that are really influenced by Christianity. And if there is no biblical instruction, the holiness would be defined simply externally. You should wear this type of clothes. This is how your hair should be. This is if you wear a tie, it points to hell. And a variety of external things. I do not know if I'm the only one who grew up in those type of uh, problem. I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, It's very easy for us as people to practice religion externally without truly being holy. And that only happens when there is a conversion. Really, this is the the starting point in genuine pursuit of holiness. Did I go through this one? Yes. So it's a regeneration. And here are two passages for us. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. Habitually he cannot sin because he is born of God. Notice there is a, a language of a new creation, a language of regeneration. In John chapter 3, Jesus has an appointment with a very important rabbi of Israel by name Nicodemus. And and this man is perplexed. He comes to Jesus and he reasons through as he observes the miracles and he recognizes this is the man of God. And despite of all his questions, Jesus goes straight to his heart and tells him, you must be born again. Now, this old fellow, he, he struggled to understand, and Jesus explains to him, and, and it really repeats three times, you must be born again. And then he leads him to Numbers, I believe Numbers chapter 22, and shows him the illustration in the Old Testament when the bronze serpent is raised up. 
that people would look by faith. And this is the moment of their conversion, when they would believe God's means of their salvation. Notice in Titus chapter 3, again, the language of regeneration by, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So if you are here and you desire to pursue holiness, but you never came to Christ as your Savior, this is the starting point for you. You must repent. This is what we need to understand for ourselves, and this is what we need to teach uh, even our families or our friends, that they need to come and surrender to Christ. They need to have a new life. Yes. Consecrate, yes. Set, uh, consecrate means set, a, set apart for God. Yes. Uh, this is a very parallel concept, a justification. Um, and this is really a theological concept. Um, who can explain what does it mean to be justified? Gail, if you could speak a little louder so we can hear. Just as if I never sinned. Okay. Just as as if I have never sinned, who could add a little bit to that? I see justification as a process of election, the first process. Okay, as a process of election, it's a it's a judicial term. It's a legal. How many lawyers do we have in the house? If you do not want to reveal yourself, that's okay. <laughs> uh, but this is a judicial term. This is the the declaration, you're righteous. This is God's judicial declaration that we are righteous. And here, Apostle Paul, uh, in Romans 3, he explains that this pronouncement happens because of our faith in Christ. So when God declares us righteous because of our faith in Christ, that's, uh, and now, because here uh, you can see that this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passes over the sins previously committed for demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God has a legal standing to justify the sinners because Christ paid the penalty for the sins. He satisfied the demand of the law. And God is a just God. He is a justifier and maintains the justice. And this is the only religion, actually, in the world that will maintain that. And we will not go there today. But if you think about none of the religions in the world would genuinely have justice and justification. Because none of them have substitute, who is God-man. So at the moment of regeneration, when we are justified, the power of sin is broken in our lives. And God gives us a new life, a new heart. And that's what enables us as a starting point to pursue holiness. Now there are two important uh, concepts when we speak about sanctification or holiness in our practical life. Um, And these are really interchangeable terms. Uh, sanctification really comes from the Greek word, and it means the same thing as pursue holiness. Uh, So there is a practical holiness that we already possess. 
I know we wish to have it more, and uh, we will talk about, uh, I mean, positional holiness, and we'll talk about practical holiness. I brought all this text from Book of Hebrew. We've, we studied Book of Hebrew, but it is very interesting that the author of Hebrew who is going to appeal to the uh, Jewish believers and some who are curious and would show to them the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is better in compared to really Levitical system of, of uh, sacrifices. He would show them that Christ is better and his ministry is better than Moses. He's a better priest than even Aaron. And here, oh, that Christ in his sacrifice, he made us sanctified. He made us holy. And there is a practical sanctification. This is where we are. So if, if you wake up this morning, this is where you are, in the practical sanctification. Now notice uh, Scripture speaks to us again in our practical life as Christians to pursue holiness. And I've tried to kind of uh, consistently uh, highlight and uh, underline the passages that will show us that. So I would like three volunteers. Mark, would you be able to read the first passage for us? Thank you. Dave. Dave. Would you be able to read the second one? Thank you. And Matt? Thank you. Notice that the scripture lays for us these imperatives that we would pursue. This is something of active pursuit for us, that we practically in our life on a daily basis pursue holiness. So the question would arise for us, how do we pursue holiness? And what, so first, what would be the goal for us as we aim to pursue holiness? What is the goal? You can speak louder. It says right there. It says in the notes too. You should know that. Thank you. We pursue Christ's likeness. Now, why Christ's likeness? What is so unique about Christ? Christ is perfect. He is God. He is one with the Father. He lived the human life. Spirit dwells with us. Opens our eyes to see Christ. He obeyed the law perfectly. Yes. He delivered. Oh, he never sinned. Yes, he never sinned. I mean, if we are to look through, through, from the scriptures in Genesis, when God created mankind to be the stewards of his creation, to be in the right relationship with God, 
in the right relationship with one another, in the right relationship with the nature, uh, to be the image bearers of God, that's what God created mankind with that purpose and intent. We fast forward to Genesis 3, and mankind lost that. They did not lose completely the image of God, but they mirrored. The expectation for us to fulfill that purpose is still there in the scriptures. We read in uh, Genesis 9 uh, that God again restates, for in the image of God he created them. Uh, We read in Psalm 8 how God thinks of mankind. And at the same time, none of us can fulfill that. But came only one, who is a God-man, fully God and fully man, who fulfills what God has designed. And what is even more fascinating, that all the rest of the promises, that as we look forward to Christ's return, he's going to actually fulfill as a, a image bearer, and he's going to reign and rule. Because that's what Genesis' mandate was for. God created mankind so they would rule over. And he subjugated to them. None of us are rulers. And the rulers we have are really not that great. That's why we re-elect them every four years. <laughs> so we, there is a need for one to be really fulfillment of our destiny, our purpose. And that one is Jesus Christ. And God set him to be that image bearer. We can see in Romans, as Paul writes this chain of salvation, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become confirmed to the image of his son. That's really why God redeemed us. So we will be like Christ. That's our goal. That's the objective for us as we live our life here. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these... Whom he predestined, he also called. And this whom he called, he also justified. And this whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, how do we pursue this Christ-likeness? In the progress of sanctification, we behold Christ. Who can tell me, what does it mean to behold Christ? This is a very English phrase. So if you are, have an opportunity to teach to uh, three-year-old kids in, uh, in a little church. How would you explain to them to behold Christ? To know him? To think about him? Maybe to be preoccupied in our thinking with him. Yes. To be fully aware of him of all your observation powers. How many of you ever been to Grand Canyon? A handful of you have been there. Imagine that you went to the Grand Canyon for 60 seconds and you left. And you tell a great story like, oh, I went to Grand Canyon, not, not a big deal. No, it captivates. You spend a day and it's not enough. People spend their life studying various uh, structures and everything. It's not enough. 
they preoccupy it because it's so great. So how do we behold Christ? Yes. When you are trying to really get a child's attention, you square off with them face to face. Okay. And you say, look at me. I want to tell you this. And um, it is beholding the mother's face that gets the child to do what he needs to do. So it is, as Annette said, when you get the child's attention, when they're looking at you and you instruct them, they're beholding the mother's face. Yes, when you see Grand Canyon, you're definitely in awe, breathtaking. I do not know if um, many of you love uh, to come to closest to the edge to look down at the thousand feet drop. I try to stay as far as I can. 